I think this message tonight is one that is, is pertinent for every one of us, and at least I hope so. And um, regardless of where you're at in your journey with God, uh, whether you are just starting out with him, whether you're still trying to figure out um, just where you're at in relationship to him and, and what that looks like, or maybe you've been journeying with him for a while, I think um, there's often this tension that exists um, as it relates to what our role is and what God's role is in this relationship. Now, we talk about um, how Christianity is not a religion, but it's relationship. And I often think about that phrase and I think, what does that even mean? And what is the nature of that relationship? And uh, I think we can say that and have no clue what it looks like, uh, what it means to walk it out. And there's, as with any relationship, there's two sides to it. If it's going to be a healthy relationship, there needs to be some mutual understanding of what it looks like to interact with each other and believe that is exactly what God wants with us, for us, as it relates to knowing him, as it relates to growing with him. Um, and yet there's this tension that exists as we start to explore and think about what does that actually look like, what does that mean? And there's sort of two sides to this um, relationship that um, sometimes we can actually lean um, more to one or the other and forget or neglect the other. And I want to talk about that tonight. Um, sort of two sides of the same coin, which is our relationship with God. And the two sides of the coin are his work and our work. There's two sides to this coin called relationship with him. There's two sides to it. And one side is his work, his role, his job, his interaction with us. And the other side is ours. Again, that's what relationship means. And I want to hopefully bring a little bit of clarity to what that um, looks like. And perhaps um, how you can better understand what it is that God expects of you, what he wants from you in this relationship, and so you can be intentional in walking that out. Um, I think sometimes, I know for me personally in this journey with him, it's been a little while now. I know maybe some of you are like, I don't even know how old this guy is. He can't have been doing this for very long. Um, I met the Lord in 2005, and it changed everything for me. I was still in college then, so that gives you a little bit of idea. Um, I'm out of college now, in case you're wondering. <laughs> and yay! <laughs> I did actually graduate. <laughs> I didn't just leave. Um, so it's been 11 years. Wow, the time flies. Actually, 11 years, right about this time. And, you know, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you know, you get in these ruts. You get in these seasons of like, what am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? And you can even get in a place where you're wondering, am I doing enough? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And get discouraged by that. And I think sometimes, in fact, maybe always, whenever we get discouraged about our role and we start beating ourselves up, that's not from God. 
And yet, there is something, I think there's an answer there in terms of what are we to be doing, what can we do to encourage this relationship growing. And I think, in fact, what we're going to find is that if you haven't found this out already, it actually starts with understanding what he's done. And so that's where we're going to start tonight, and we're going to talk about our role as well. So if you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, otherwise you can follow along. And um, we're going to start from the beginning, and we're going to go to verse 11. Simon Peter, he's the one writing this letter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Say, his glory and goodness. That's where this all started. Verse 4. Through these, he has given us his great, his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Say, participate in the divine nature. That sounds sci-fi. That sounds epic. That's what God wants for you through Jesus. Having escaped the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. We got all that? We keeping up? Maybe we'll just pause on that. (laughs) So you can write it down, okay? It's a list. That is a list. He goes on to say, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say ineffective, unproductive. Now let's reverse that. Say effective, productive. This is the most interaction we've had in a long time. You know, I can tell you're still getting used to it. (laughs) We'll work on it. Do you want to be effective and productive in your journey with Jesus? Good answer. (laughs) Well, I think Peter is saying, I want to tell you how to be. He says, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted. Them meaning this list of attributes is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Say, confirm your calling. 
interesting wording. We're going to explain it. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> um, you know, last week we read a passage in the book of John, and if you weren't here, you're, um, I'm not going to give you that sermon all over again, but thank you. Amen. Amen. Um, those of you who were, <laughs> amen. Um, but I think it's actually a really good picture of, of what we see happening in this passage as well. Um, there's this moment where Jesus, he's been traveling with these people, the disciples, and people have begun to follow him, and he's doing these amazing miracles, and more people begin to follow him. And then he preaches this sermon about eating his body and drinking his blood, communion. But the way he said it was, you know, this sort of unapologetically harsh um, message. And people said, we can't handle this. We don't know what this means. We don't know how to go there with you. It's just, it's just weird. And so they began to leave him. And then it was just Jesus and the disciples, and we're thinking, this might be it. This might be the end of the movement. And Jesus, he looks at those 12, and he asks them this question. He says, are you going to go as well? Are you going to leave me? And if we read that, we might be thinking, wow, Jesus, he's, he, maybe he's getting worried. He's getting desperate. He's going to be back to zero. Thankfully, thankfully, in case you're wondering how the story, how that story ends, they say, Peter actually, interesting, Peter says, we're not going anywhere. He says, in fact, where would we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life, so we're following you. We're staying with you. And he said that statement in the middle of not knowing. And I think actually that is an amazing picture of what the faith journey is often like. It's in the middle of not knowing everything, not having it figured out. And that's a good place to be. That's actually humility. In the middle of that, it's resolving and saying, Jesus, but I'm going to follow you because I've found something that has changed me. I've found life in you. I've found the answer in you. So I'm going to go with you. I'm going to resolve to stay with you, even in the middle of confusion, even in the middle of difficulty, even in the middle of not quite knowing how you're working in my life, in the middle of, in fact, maybe unanswered prayers, disappointments. And just when we thought that it was the disciples who were um, resolving to stick with Jesus, Jesus says, guess what? I have chosen you. And so which one is it? Which one is it? Did they choose him or did he choose them? Can it be both? In fact, I would suggest that the Christian life is full of these kind of paradoxes. It's not an either or, it's both. But I, I would suggest that in fact there is an order to this. There is an order to this relationship and to what God has done and to what we are doing. And in fact, if you look at that story, Jesus was the one that chose them first. And yet, along the way, there were moments like this one, tough moments, where he's calling them 
to decide again if they are going to choose him as well. You see, that is a perfect example of what is a love relationship. Sometimes we don't think about the relationships that we have with God in those simple terms of a love relationship, and that's what it's supposed to be. And in a love relationship, love by its very nature and definition, it requires choice. It, in fact, invites choice. Choice is the very, it's freedom that is at the very middle of this thing called love. So it's me choosing you, and it's you choosing me. That's how I ended up with Maria. Mostly she chose me, which I'm very thankful for. Almost seven years now. Yeah, it's a good number. But that's what it means to be in a relationship based on love is there's mutual choice. And I, I think that sometimes when we come to relationship with God, we forget that because we say God is all-knowing and he's all-powerful. So somehow he chose me and I'm stuck with him or he's stuck with me or the feelings are mutual. When we look at this passage, it seems that there is an emphasis on our effort. But before you jump into this phrase where Peter tells them to make every effort, what you first have is a very short but important theological statement about what God has done first. Verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If you want another um, expounding on this truth, that it's God's goodness and glory that initiated and impacted us first, just read Ephesians 1. We read it last week to close out our time. I'm not going to read it again today, but read Ephesians 1. And if you've read Ephesians 1 before and you haven't come away just wowed by the fact that God has initiated this amazing thing called salvation and bringing you into his family. Read it in the message translation because it's full of exclamation points, and sometimes those are left out of our Bibles, and so we don't know when we're supposed to get excited. So you read it like this, and in his great love, God chose us. Wow. That's what Ephesians said, actually, that it was his good pleasure to choose us to be adopted into his family. Not just in his house as servants or as second-rate citizens, but as family. He had that in mind before he even created the world. That was a long time coming. And that's what... Second Peter starts with his divine power. He's saying it's God's initiation. It's God's work on your behalf. It's his power, not yours, but his, that has given you everything you need to live the life that he's called you to. Do you see it? 
So he's called you, which means there's participation. But it starts with, and it, I'd suggest that it, all along the way, the thing that gets you there is his divine power at work in your life. It says that through these, he has given us his great, very great, and precious promises so that we may participate in the divine nature. He's saying that God has given you what you need to live a godly life. Do you believe that? This right here flies in the face of what actually oftentimes is our day-to-day experience. A lot of times, we're met with failure, disappointment, mistakes, sin. That's what we call it. And we think to ourselves, I'm just human. I'm just a sinner. I'm just rotten. I don't know how I got in, but I'm barely hanging on. And what Peter was reminding the church, those who are in the family, he says, guess what? You have his divine nature. And you have in Jesus everything you need to walk in that. What's his divine nature? I don't know. Like I said, it sounds sci-fi and out there, but at its base, I think it's, Being able to walk like Jesus did. Sharing in Jesus' nature. So the list that we see later on, I think those are examples of what it looks like to walk out the divine nature. To share in the divine nature. That is God's will for you. That is God's desire for you. And he's enabled that possibility in your life because of his power. His divine power. Your divine nature is based on and fulfilled by God's divine power at work in your life. Do you get that? Some of you are like, I get it, but I don't get it. (laughs) Okay. What I want you to understand and hear is that this starts with what he's done. And if we find ourselves in the place of, of looking at our actions and to the point where we miss what he's done, we are perhaps off base in this. And we need to come back to the reminder of where it started. It started with his initiation on our behalf. We sang that today. He is the one who's faithful to bring to completion the very work that he has begun in us. It's his work. So when you're getting discouraged about your ability to live this out, your ability to walk this out, I want you to come back to the truth that it's his work in you that will bring your life to completion in him. Okay? Say okay. You promise? Okay. Pinky promise? Later. But what's interesting here? 
he reminds them of this first. He starts with this. Then he says, in light of this, for this very reason, because of the truth that I've told you and because of the truth of what God has done on your behalf, he says, make every effort to add these things to your faith. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like you have something to do? It's what it kind of sounds like to me. Maybe that's a good thing for you. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe you don't like to-do lists. I would, I would suggest that this is more than a to-do this. This is the fruit that God wants to produce in you by his spirit. This is the fruit that God wants to produce in you by his spirit that he is calling you to participate with him in. You have a role in this. You have a participatory role in the fruit that God wants to manifest in your life. What does that look like? He says, make every effort. To add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. It sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit to me. The fruit of God's Spirit in you. And yet, he says still that, he says, you make the effort. Okay, that's confusing. Whose effort is it? Whose work is it? Is it God's or is it yours? Yeah, okay, some of you have been paying attention. It's both, but how? In fact, it's important to realize sometimes we think, okay, um, I don't really know where this is going, and I'm kind of tired of reading my Bible. I'm done with prayer for a while. I'm, I'm bored of it. Um, in fact, maybe even church is something I'm just not that interested in right now. There's other things. And yet you think, but you know what? God is going to see this through. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, so don't look so nervous. Sometimes I've thought that. I, I'm one of those people that I kind of go with the flow. I'm not a very structured, organized person. My wife somewhere back there is saying amen to that. That's one of the reasons that I married her. To add some order to my existence. Praise God. We compliment each other that way. Um, you could use the word organic. That's how I like my relationships. And my food. I just can't afford it. <laughs> and sometimes that's what it's like with God. And I get lost. And I'm like, what are we doing? I don't know. I don't know what we're reading. I don't know what we're talking about. Um, I'm a little confused what I should be doing right now. And if you've been walking with him for any length of time, sometimes you find yourself in that place. That's normal. But what I hope you don't come to the conclusion of thinking that God is going to take care of all of it. Because he's called you to participate with him. So when you find yourself in that place, it is possible, 
it is possible for you to be ineffective and unproductive in your walk with him. I'm not saying it's possible for you to lose what he has begun on your half, because that would override his promise. And I don't think that's possible. But it is possible for us to be ineffective and unproductive. Just think of this on human terms. You go to work without a plan. You might just be unproductive because you're on Facebook all day. Again, I'm not asking you to raise your hand if that's you. It's possible to be ineffective and unproductive in many things, including your relationship with God, because you don't see your role, your responsibility in participating in relationship with him. And in fact, he says, whoever does not possess these things is nearsighted and blind, meaning a reason that we end up in this place is sometimes we end up being drawn away from the amazing relationship and opportunity and privilege we have in knowing him for things that are worthless. And he says, when that happens, we've blinded ourselves we become nearsighted to what we've been called to, to the amazing purpose that we have, to the divine nature that is given to us to walk out, and we can actually do it. So he's saying don't lose sight of what God's done and your role in that. Don't let sin rule you. Uh, I want to read this verse from Romans, okay? I know it's hot in here. We're gonna we're gonna work towards bringing this message to its end. Romans six twelve through fourteen. You got that? It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Another translation says, do not offer your flesh, meaning your body, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. The very fact that these words are in your Bible means that it's possible for you to offer what you have, your body, to God for righteous and glorious purposes. It means that you are able, through the power of the Spirit, to walk an upright life, to walk um, in newness of life. To not always be stuck in the same ruts, the same habits, the same old ways of living that you were called out of when you were called to Jesus. Sometimes we think the body is the thing that's trapped us and kept us from living in victory with him. Romans 6 says the body is not your enemy if you give it to God. And it's possible to give it to God. So he says, submit yourself. Submit what you have. Submit your body to God for righteous purposes. 
for good things, for that list, goodness, perseverance, love. That means surrender to God's purpose in your life and choose to walk in it. That's possible. Some of you just need to hear that today. It's possible. It's possible. Through the power of the Spirit. It's possible. I want to give an example of this that I think, I don't know, I I couldn't think of anything better. I tried. I used my imagination to the best of my ability. I don't know if this would let you know I went to art school or not, but I tried to use my imagination to give you a picture of this, okay? So how does this work? I think um, there's some holes in this metaphor, but I, I thought of this like a car, okay? Now, I want you to imagine the engine. As far as I know, in this, in our midst, there's only one person who knows how to work on an engine. That's Luke Coleman. But even then, I don't think Luke has ever built an engine, right? Just say yes for the sake of this, okay? Okay. The rest of us (laughs) have no clue probably how an engine even works, much less how to put one together, much less how to build one from scratch, much less how to build the first engine. Well, I would suggest that that is sort of, okay, a picture of the work that God's done. He's built this engine. He has initiated this work that we don't, in fact, completely understand how it actually fits together, how it actually works. This thing called salvation, this thing called knowing him, he's put it together. It was his idea. He made it happen. Wow. We can marvel at that. And you could have a car with a good engine and still not go anywhere. Luke, he's the man. He's saying, yes, it's true, so believe him. You can have a car with an engine, a good engine. In fact, all the parts of the car could be working, and you could still not go anywhere because you're out of gas. That would be the best news possible for someone like me who doesn't know how to fix a car and is too cheap to want to bring it to the mechanic. If your car didn't start and you didn't know why, and you found out that it was out of gas and all you needed was to put some in it and you'd be up and running and that would be the best news possible. And yet, you got to do it. You see? We kind of take that for granted, okay? Um, And if you've ever run out of gas, you know how terrible of a a thing that can be? (laughs) Especially before cell phones. Anybody ever run out of gas before cell phones? Yeah, that happened to me once. New Year's Eve with my sister. It was her fault. She's like, we can make it. I'm like, I don't think we're going to make it. You know, and, the, and the, the meter is like, it's like way below E. So you're like, we don't even look at it. it it's not even right. I'm like, I don't know, but we're going to run out of gas. I just have a feeling. We ran out of gas. We didn't have a cell phone. I'll tell you the rest of that story later. But in this picture, I think that's what it's like. There is something for you to do. And and again, this metaphor might completely lose you, and you can tell me how to make it better later. But the gas is actually the spirit of God in your life, and you have a participatory cooperative role with him in your life. 
the Spirit of God in your life, in fact, because of love, is not just saying, I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do. That's why Galatians 6 says, because you have the Spirit, now walk in step with the Spirit. I'm getting a few amens. I think it's working. <laughs> those are rare here. If you're new with us, those are rare. If you don't feel comfortable with that, you can do this, okay? Raise the roof. That's like amen, okay? <laughs> a few people are embarrassed by me right now. I'm wrapping this up, I promise. The Spirit's role in your life requires your participation. It requires you to say, okay, I need you today. I need you to fuel my life today so that I can go where God wants me to go today. It requires you saying, okay, help me be aware of your presence with me because the Spirit is near. The Spirit is in you, in fact, if you are Christ's. And yet it's possible to be ineffective and unproductive if you say no thank you to the Spirit. It doesn't matter how polite you are. If you say no, you're going to shut down His work in your life. That's why Scripture says it's possible to grieve or quench the Spirit. We do that when we choose things other than what God would have for us. So participate. Join him. How do we do that? I want to close with a couple things, ways we can do that personally and together. I think that there is a place that it is your walk and responsibility to steward this relationship that nobody else can manage. And so it actually becomes really important that you learn how to manage yourself. That's called self-control. That is also a fruit of the Spirit of God in you. You see, he's given us the tools. And so cultivating relationship with God on a personal level is where it all starts. And my hope is that um, you know how to do that. But if you don't, find some people who do. And let them help you. Nothing can replace you hearing from God. Not this time. Not the worship. Not the millions of sermons you can get online. And you can hear from God that way. But I believe that he wants to interact with you. And he wants to speak to you. And for you to listen to him. And for you to be able to open your Bible. And through the guidance of the Holy Spirit to read something and to know what it means and to know what to do with it. I think actually it's not Bible studies and um, a bunch of information that's going to allow you to do that. It's the Holy Spirit. Those things can help, but it's the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. And so don't neglect your time with Him. John 15 says, Unless you abide in me, you can't produce any good fruit. You can't do anything. That's pretty simple. It's pretty clear. And 
yet there's another side of this, and I think sometimes in our culture we err too much on that side. This is my thing. It's me and God and nobody else. And sometimes we think God's talking and it's really not him, and yet we don't have anybody to tell us, hey, where did you get that idea? And in love to help direct us, is that really what the Bible says? Sometimes we need help in that. Even me. If you were here a few weeks ago, <laughs> maybe you saw that. So I think in that way, we need each other. We need the church. We need the family of God. And in fact, we're called to that. Um, I'm going to read this real quick from Hebrews. You got it? John? Because I don't have it. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Again, God is faithful. And yet, in light of God's faithfulness, in fact, he says, And let us consider, so it's not either or, but he says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, towards the very things that we're talking about that will keep us from being ineffective. He says, if you want to go after those things, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying you need each other. You need family. You need the community of Christ. If you try to do this on your own, I guarantee you, even though you have God and you have the Holy Spirit, you will be limiting what he can do because he wants to work through the entire body. That's what this is. The church is the body of Christ. And if you remove yourself from the body, then you're removing yourself from the benefit of the body. And the Spirit speaks directly, but the Spirit speaks through this family, through those that know him as well. And we need that. Those are two simple things, but I think particularly right now for some of you as you're at this kind of perhaps a new point in your life, in your journey with God. Um, perhaps you just need to resolve that you're going to participate with them in that way. And I want to encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Dad, I thank you. I thank you that you are love. I thank you that you have chosen us. It was your delight to choose us. It was your delight to send the Son to bring us into the family of God as co-heirs, co-laborers, co-sharers of the divine nature of Jesus Christ. To share in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that we had no clue of or no clue of how to obtain and in fact, no desire to have a part and before you came. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you gladly went. You went in love. You went by choice. You partnered with the Father and you came down and you, you walked among us. You lived among us and you, you did so to reveal the Father and his love and to call us into it. 
I thank you that you show us, you showed us what it is like, what it looks like to live in the power of the Spirit and to walk in the divine nature. And then you shared it with us. I pray today that we would, that our awareness would increase of what you've given us, of what's possible in you, of what you've done for us, and our role in it. I pray we wouldn't minimize the Holy Spirit in our midst, but we would participate and we would invite you in and we would work with you and we would let you work and move through us so that we could continue to grow in our effectiveness and our productive productivity in you, in the kingdom of, and in the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about what this looks like specifically here in this community, what it actually looks like to be a follower of Jesus, this thing called discipleship. And so there's going to be more opportunities um, and hopefully some clearer ways for you to continue um, in the things that God is speaking to us and calling us to as a family. So um, look forward to that. Uh, we're going to take communion now, and we're going to close in worship. So when you're ready, you can come up and receive, and we'll have the worship team come up as well. Thank you. <laughs>